Authors on the Air with Terry Shepard, award-winning broadcaster, narrator, and author of the Jessica Ramirez Thrillers. Brought to you by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network and by Ramirez and Clark Publishers. Presenting Terry Shepard's latest Jessica Ramirez adventure, Chasing the Captain. Available in print, digital, and audiobook everywhere. Thank you, Lisa, and welcome to Authors on the Air. We continue our series featuring authors selected for inclusion in the Capital Crimes Anthology with Kim Keeline, a true Renaissance woman who happens to be a writer. She's a graphic artist, a web designer, a promotional strategist, and social media guru, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. She's a former academic who is still a sought-after speaker and lecturer, who wrote nonfiction before deciding to turn her imagination loose. Her short stories have appeared in several anthologies, and her tale, Nameless, is included in Capital Crimes' Cemetery Plots of Northern California. Before we bring her on, let's give you just a little taste of Nameless. In Colma, California, known as the City of Souls, the dead outnumber the living a thousand to one. You'd think one more body wouldn't matter. The tombstone read, Norton I, Emperor of the United States and Protector of Mexico, Joshua A. Norton, 1819-1880. But that wasn't who was dead. I mean, Emperor Norton was dead in a coffin six feet under. His body had been moved to Colma in 1934 during the great San Francisco Cemetery eviction to make way for development. A woman's body lay on top of his grave, sprawled like a doll dropped from a child's hand. I hadn't meant to find her. Once I did, I had to discover who she was. Kim Keeline, welcome to the show. Thank you, and I must say, I've I've never been interviewed as an author, and your introduction made me I, I just was amazed, and and you just made me sound so wonderful. Thank you. You're very kind. <laughs> you are wonderful. Oh, my gosh. When I read your resume, I'm thinking, this woman is a kindred spirit. She's just my kind of person. <laughs> Thank you. And it's funny, when you said Renaissance woman, I'm like, well, that was my specialty as an academic. Uh, Shakespeare was my uh, my field. So the English Renaissance, I thought that was hysterical. You said Renaissance woman. I'm like, well, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> And and you didn't even mention that I uh, drive a 1907 Baldwin steam locomotive. Are you serious? Yeah, for 20 years now, I've been a volunteer steam engineer, one of three women in the organization that I belong to that operate because it's a very male hobby. Tell me everything about that locomotive. What's the number? (laughs) So it's uh, the old number three. It's a 1907 Baldwin. It's an 040 wheel configuration. It's narrow gauge. Um, She's quite lovely. She's been sort of backdated to look more like an 1880s porter by the previous owners. Uh, She runs a half mile loop twice around, three times for birthdays uh, for the public. We just reopened after a year and a half of being closed. Hopefully we'll get to stay open. Uh, um, Yeah, my husband and I have been volunteers on her for 20 years. And one of the novels that I'm working on is about a female steam train volunteer at a museum, a different place, who discovers the body of a volunteer and must solve it. so this is uh, something I'm very involved in is, is the train <laughs> hobby. 
Well, I rarely inject my own stuff into these podcasts, but I have to tell you that I am the grandson of Perry E. Percy, who was the chief estimating engineer at the Lima Locomotive Works. So when you said Baldwin, you had me. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> this train actually was from a concrete works outside of San Francisco and helped build, rebuild San Francisco after the earthquake and fire. But she's been changed to look more like a passenger engine. <laughs> How in the world did you and your husband get involved in that? Uh, we've always liked trains. Um, and then he was teaching a computer class and a student came in with a T-shirt from this small, you know, railroad a little bit north of us. And he's like, oh, we should go ride that. And uh, about a year later, we started volunteering. And uh yeah, you just train up from conductor to fireman to engineer. Uh, there's also a 1907 San Francisco cable car and a 1950s Fairmont speeder, all of which I can drive. And I'm their first female dispatcher, which is the highest rank you can get in the organization. Are there licenses that you need to have for this? You would in other organizations, like there's a, a uh, Paris has their thing. If it crosses a road, if it's considered a real railroad, uh, ours does not cross any roads. It's within a park. And so we have our own sort of training. We have to go through tests. We have to go through a large training program. But we luckily do not have to do licenses, which is even more difficult. Kim Keeline is our guest. Her story, Nameless, will be featured in this fall's Capital Crime Anthology, Cemetery Plots of Northern California. She has a fantastic website, K-I-M-K-E-E-L-I-N-E.com. How did you become a writer? Uh, well, that's, I was working on my dissertation, which is, was about Shakespeare and uh, working women. And I was talking to my husband about one of his things that he does, um, which is he researches children's series books. He's, he's one of the world's experts on that. And we were talking about a topic and I went, you know, that would make a good fiction story. And so I wrote some notes down, but I was in the middle of my dissertation. I knew there was no way I had time to write fiction. Um, you know, as a teenager, I'd fooled around with a few stories, but never got very far. I had a four, first 40 pages of a sci-fi fantasy novel, but, you know, that was a long time ago. And, you know, then I went back to school to get my PhD and I'm like, oh, that would be fun. I mean, I'm a big reader um, and mysteries have been big for me since, you know, Nancy Drew and Trixie Belden. So I, it made sense that I would come up with this mystery story, but I set it aside. Uh, once my dissertation was finally done, I started thinking about it. I started working on it. And I don't seem to have a problem with a lack of ideas because I now have a number of novels, either partially or, or fully plotted out. I have two complete book drafts on two different series that each have about eight books planned. Uh, so ideas are not my problem. It's making sure those two novels are good enough to go out to anyone that's been a little more difficult because fiction's not the same as writing nonfiction. And I had a lot to learn. Uh, I joined Sisters in Crime. I got into reading critique groups. I went to conferences. They have improved. I like to think my writing's getting better than I got in 2020. I, um, well, in 2019, my Sisters in Crime chapter decided to publish an anthology. Uh, I thought, what the heck, I've never written a short story, but my anthology, you know, my group's going to do it. I could try. I mean, it's blind submission. They can reject it or not if they want, but I should try. Uh, it got accepted. I was thrilled. Um, and a couple months later, another story was accepted because I had sent it off to the Bouchercon anthology. 
Um, so in 2020, I had two short stories published. Uh, I think they did fairly well. Uh, and then I was thrilled this year when Capital Crimes, they had announced their anthology theme quite a bit earlier. Uh, and I had come up with an idea. They said cemeteries. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what cemetery in Northern California can do it. And then I found out about Colma. Yes. And Colma is such an interesting town. And I'd already knew a lot about Josh Joshua Norton. I found him fascinating. So when I realized that Joshua Norton was buried in Colma, uh, and there is actually a um, um, a condo that overlooks the cemetery where Joshua Norton is buried, and that's where my main character lives. She's a teenager whose parents work at, at that 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 cemetery, and they just want to walk across the street to their work, so they had moved into this condo. Um, so she literally has a view of the place from her dining room window. Because it's true, there is a condo right there, four-story <laughs> condo that overlooks that area. So I was like, well, that's just interesting. Um, so then I came up with this idea, and I was thrilled that they were willing to uh, include it in their anthology. Margaret has a little bit of Nancy Drew in her. Uh, yeah. I, 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 choosing a teenage protagonist was interesting. It's one of the things I like about short stories is that I'm able to experiment uh, with voice, with character, with location. I always start with a place. There's something about where your body is found seems to be the first thing I think of. Uh, so for instance, in, in my first novel that I worked on, finding the body of a person in an empty train barn uh, that's about to be have trains moved into it for the first time, and it's a volunteer sprawled across the track, that just really got my imagination going. Um, so this, this location thing is strong with me. And so the idea of a body on Joshua Norton's grave early in the morning in, in a foggy coma morning found by a teenager who lives there because I thought, who lives in coma? Well, they have one high school. And I'm sure that a lot of the people who live there either are in the mortuary business or doing or doing services for those people, people running grocery stores and restaurants for the people who live in the who work in the mortuary business. So I thought, OK, there's got to be people who work in the mortuary business who have kids there. What would it be like to be a teenager in a town that has 17 major cemeteries off of the main road? And there are smaller ones, but the 17 major ones. I mean, it's just enormous how many cemeteries there are there, how many graves there are. Uh, so I just, I thought it would be really interesting to explore that girl. Who is she? And yes, Nancy Drew, she, she's a bit of that. <laughs> well, and this isn't your first story to be a recipient of accolades. You're part of the Crossing Border Anthology. And as I understand, that story is nominated for the best short story of the year. Uh, yeah, I was thrilled. My first short story, which is about a woman, um, it's called The Crossing, and she's a, a woman that's, sorry, let me make sure that's off. Uh, <laughs> I like that again. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Um, Crossing Borders uh, published my first short story, which is called The Crossing, and it's about a woman who is trying to get from Mexico to Chula Vista, which is actually where I grew up. It's right there on the border of San Diego, uh, San Diego, between uh, San Diego and the border. And she's trying to cross back into the country. She's 
moved to Mexico, as some people do. Um, and on her the very worst day of her life, she's trying to get back to the United States. She's stuck in a traffic jam and she gets carjacked. And so the whole story takes place inside her car at that moment. And as I said, I just got inspired by you know, this anthology, I was like, well, why not? So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to take it very literally, crossing borders. I live near the border, so I'll just do the actual border. And then I was like, okay, well, why is this woman crossing? What's going to happen to her? I was like, well, what's the worst thing that can happen to you in your car? Someone gets into your car with a gun. All right. And then what would make that worse? And so then I was started thinking about what would happen. And so this one, you know, is not a detective story. It's, it's, it's literally just this woman fighting for her life and what is she going to do? Um, and, and, and what else has been going on with her that makes this particularly desperate for her? Um, and I was very thrilled because Crossing Borders, the anthology did very well. It won the San Diego Book Awards for Best Anthology. It is currently a Silver Falcon uh, finalist for Best Anthology. And then my own short story was a finalist for Best Short Story. All the people that were nominated uh, finalists for that were, were excellent. And I was thrilled to be in their company. Um, just being a finalist was win enough for me because that was my first published thing. And I was just, just honored. Kim Keeline is our guest. KimKeeline.com is the website. She's going to be in Cemetery Plots of Northern California in October as put out by the Capital Crimes chapter of Sisters in Crime. You seem to be very have cracked the code on creating a compelling short story. What pieces make up a really good tale? Oh, oh, that's a good question. So I think that in a short story, you need particularly a very compelling uh, main character. Your protagonist needs to be very compelling, a good, strong voice, um, some some sort of hook that really draws you in quickly because you don't have time to fool around. You can't take a slow setting. You have to really pull someone in quickly and make them care about it. And that's hard. Um, I mean, the this story was, I think in first draft, almost 9,000 words, and it had to be 5,000. And it was the first short story I wrote that actually has basically a sort of a detective thing, trying to solve something instead of trying to like to fight something like in the car, just trying to figure out how to live. That's a different sort of thing. But laying out clues and following them is so hard to do in 5,000 words. <laughs> yeah. And so I really learned that, um, boy, people who do this, that, that, it's amazing. It's easier in some ways to write a novel than to write a short story because you have to cut so much and keep enough of the good stuff. That's hard. It's really hard. <laughs> but I, I do think that the, the compelling character um, is probably what really makes a good short story. And I don't know that I've cracked the code, but I have been very lucky with my first three stories. So I've been pleased with that. How have they impacted your longer form writing? Uh, well, I think I've been working on the voice of my characters in the novel because that's something that I think that I've gotten a little stronger with through my short stories. So as I go back and revise, I'm trying to figure out also the cutting. I mean, I'm a lot tighter in my writing in my short story. Um, so being a lot tighter in the short story is helping me 
be a lot tighter, you know, with my writing um, in general, which I think is good for me. Uh, so I, the, as I've been learning and the short stories, the fact that somebody was willing to read them meant that something was good about them. So I'm trying to use that to make the, the revisions of my novels better because um, they've only seen the light of day through my reading critique group. And, you know, you want to make them as good as you can before other people see them. So, um, and, and I'm a bit of a perfectionist, so that's hard for me to let them go. Um, but hopefully soon. <laughs> How will you know when you're ready? I'm not sure. <laughs> In the short <laughs> stories, I always had a deadline. So I had to meet that deadline. Um, so ready or not, they went out. Uh, I always figured, well, this is probably as good as I'm going to get it by this deadline. So I guess I'll send and hope. And the worst I'll get is a no. And I have had now like three no's. I have two short stories right now that aren't published. One of them's currently out and one just got rejected. Uh, so I've had three no's now. So they say you need at least a thousand no's in your career. I've got three now. I'm looking forward to more because um, <laughs> I need to build up that, you know, the number for the thousand. Um, but they were, you know, good no's in some ways. I, I, I sent off to Alfred Hitchcock magazine and the note came back very kindly, said that they liked a lot about the story. Um, so, you know, I went, okay, that makes me happy. I mean, that's not a, don't come knocking on our door. No. So <laughs> sure. Okay. I'm new. I'm a newbie. Uh, I'll learn. I'll keep working. Um, and, you know, I'll go to conferences and I'll meet people and I'm enjoying being in the field. Uh, I enjoy the mystery field. I enjoy the mystery people. It is said in the craft that our voices often reflect our ancestors and our favorites. Who are some of your favorite authors that you like to read? Uh, well, I started with mysteries, as I said, with Nancy Drew and Trixie Belden. I went to Sherlock Holmes. After that, I really loved Agatha Christie and Dorothy L. Sayers. I, I, I really started with the traditionals and I kept with them. They're still favorites of mine. Um, I'm rereading some Make of the Christie right now just because I recently watched a documentary and I went, oh, wow, I haven't thought about that story in a while. I should read that again. See how she does it now that I'm, you know, writing. Because last time I read Make of the Christie, I wasn't a writer. So um, I want to see sort of how she does it more. Uh, she's so amazing. Uh, I read a lot of cozy people. Um, I read a lot of biblio mysteries. I'm a book collector. Um, so the idea of mysteries related to books interests me a lot, uh, because I was a Renaissance scholar, I read mysteries set in the English Renaissance. Uh, there's a surprising number of them where Shakespeare is a detective, um, and those interest me. So I've read a lot of those. Uh, I can often tell which academic books they read. To <laughs> right. Uh -huh. yeah. Like, oh, they read so-and-so. <laughs> I know that idea. <laughs> Uh, I don't agree with that idea, but okay, I know why they read that. Uh, you feel a little bit like goodwill hunting in the bar when somebody starts to say something. You say, oh, that's derivative. I know where that came from. Yeah, uh, so that's enjoyable. I don't know if I actually want to write in that field just because, you know, that's a sort of separate for me. Um, who knows? Maybe one of these days I'll decide I just have to write a story set in Shakespeare's time, but not yet. Um so, I mean, I think those are, are probably the things that in mysteries have been at my, my love. 
Kim Keyline is our guest. KimKeyline.com is the website. Her story is nameless. It's going to be featured as part of the Capital Crimes chapter of the Sisters in Crime organization. The anthology, year 2021, is entitled Cemetery Plots of Northern California. You are also one who has studied promotion, marketing strategy, and social media. How does that play into your life these days? Oh, um, that's a good question also. You, you are good at this, Terry. Um, so, well, obviously, I mean, you think about uh, the hook in a story. Uh, as a marketing person, you kind of know what the, how that is. You need to get people interested. Uh, you need to think about what's out there. I don't write based on the idea of, hey, I think this is popular right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the wrong approach. I think about what I love. Um, and what I'm passionate about and write about it. But I do try to think about, well, how can I make this relevant to others too, I guess. Um, And of course, just, you know, building my own website and doing some of that stuff is fun. So I do that. Um, I don't know. Um, What's the most popular thing? uh, What's been the most effective for you in generating an audience and generating your tribe? Well, I'm still new, so I don't know that I've generated my tribe <laughs> You're yet. still working at it, huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that um, as somebody who's just barely getting their name out there, not that many people follow me. Um, if you want to follow me, guys, I'd love it. Um, but I would say, you know, I've just been building my website and starting the Facebook and starting the Twitter, although I've not been as active there as I probably am supposed to be, because, uh, you know, I know these things, but sometimes doing it for yourself. It's hard to do it. Yep. It's easy to yeah. talk about it, but it's hard to do it. It's doing, doing it for your clients, one thing, but doing it for yourself sometimes it's like, oh, well, do I have time for that? Uh, you know, once I have a book that's accepted by someone, obviously I'll have to hit that harder so that people actually can find me. Um, right now I'm like, well, I'm just sort of here. Hi everyone. Uh, um, Let's take you out of your head and, and have you talk to yourself as a client. Let's assume the book <laughs> has been published. What would be the strategy that you would recommend to build excitement about a newly published book? But one thing I think you need to be yourself. People get really tired of just advertisements. Hi, everyone. I have a book. Here's a book. Hey, everyone. There's a book for sale. That's not interesting. But I do think that if an author is out there in their voice talking about their experience, talking about things that drove their love of that of writing that book, uh, things about the book, history and context of maybe some of the things in it, for instance, say I do get the book published that's about the, uh, the train volunteer. Obviously, I would be publishing pictures of me on working on a train, of which I have many. Uh, I'd be talking about how steam trains work. I'd be talking about my own experiences. It's in a very male hobby, what it's like to be a woman in that hobby. Um, some of the locations that inspired the locations in my book. Um, and I would think that these sorts of things might interest people. Uh, and if I'm doing them in my own voice and not just doing them as an ad, you have to give people content they care about um, and not just ads, which you care about. Um, and I think that that and just being really generous with your time with everyone in the community, because we're all part of that community, 
is not only good just in general, but I think it comes back to you. Um, and I'm sure you know that, that, you know, the, the, our community pulls together and, and being a part of that's an important thing. You're leading me to one of my all-time favorite questions. I've read, I believe, that money follows passion and passion follows purpose. How would you describe your purpose? In life? Yeah. Why, um, why are you here? To try to have the best time I can while still making the world as good as I can for others, I guess. I don't know. Um, I don't think that most of us want to say our purpose is we work from nine to five to make money to keep ourselves going. Yes, that's what many people do. But if that's a purpose, that's I just don't see that's going to drive you. I want to enjoy what I'm doing and at the same time, not do it in a selfish manner, to do it in a way that hopefully, I mean, like the, the train, I love steam trains, but I'm also out there making sure that that train runs for the, let's see, this weekend, we had 430 people ride it in the three hours that we were driving it. That's 430 happy people. Um, so by serving the train and doing the work for it, I'm letting other people enjoy it and hopefully making the world a little bit nicer and happier place. And I think that's not a bad purpose. So five years from now, if everything goes your way, what is Kim Keyline going to be all about? Um, hopefully she's a multi-published author that people actually enjoy her writing. Um, she's active uh, in the community. She's doing things um, that keep her moving forward that she's not struggling too much with her writing and procrastination problems, uh, uh, that I'm still enjoying my hobbies, um, and that I still have more to learn and grow with, because I think that's, otherwise, what's the purpose? I find that those people that can articulate that as well as you have typically make those things come true. Our subconscious mind has a way of vectoring toward our dreams. I certainly hope so. Thank you for, for saying that. Last question I ask every guest is this, Kim. If you could talk to your 16-year-old self, what advice would you give that young woman? Other people aren't paying that much attention to you, so don't be so nervous. Um, go faster towards your goals because you will appreciate it if you got it done a little younger than you did. Um, because I, I really wish I had done certain things a lot earlier in my life. Um, and I would say that as much as I loved getting my PhD, I, I, as much as I love my field for my PhD, I didn't end up actually using that degree. Um, I would say to her that if you think you're going to be a professor, look more closely at that field and look more closely at academics to see if that's really the career you want to follow. Because yes, you love Shakespeare and love, yes, you love talking about Shakespeare and, and sharing that stuff. But maybe being a professor isn't where you're going to want to be. So take a closer look at that because that's a lot of years mm -hmm. of painful academic research that didn't really lead <laughs> to a career for me. Uh, so painful academic research. That sounds pretty miserable. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, they, they, 50% of academics in my department quit before their dissertation's over because they need to have fewer PhDs in English literature because there aren't that many jobs. So they make your life as miserable as possible. Um, 
I stuck through it, but I'm not sure I should have. Because as soon as I was finished, I realized I don't actually want to be a tenured professor at some academic institution in the middle of the United States. I'm planning on living here in Southern California where the jobs are almost impossible to get. And why did I get a PhD if I'm not going to be able to get one of those jobs? It was probably not my best decision. Um, at the time, it seemed right. But looking back at it, I might have told myself, hey, investigate that a little more. Be sure, because you didn't, the first time around, you didn't do it quite right. <laughs> we always get a mulligan. KimKeyline.com is the website. Where else can people find you on social media? Uh, well, I have a Facebook author page. I think that's uh, Kim Keyline Author. Um, and I'm sometimes on Twitter and sometimes on Instagram. So if you're there, feel free to take a look at me. And uh, you'll see pictures of my cat and trains and things like that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm around. So come see me. And also, of course, if you're at Left Coast Crime or Bouchercon, there's a good chance you might see me there. Come say hi. Nameless will be featured in this false capital crime anthology, Cemetery Plots of Northern California. It's a terrific short story. I had a blast reading it, and uh, you will too. Find Kim Keeline on the web, on Facebook, all over social media. What a pleasure to talk with you, my friend. Thanks so much for giving us the time today. Oh, thank you, Terry. This has been fabulous. Authors on the Air with Terry Shepard is a copyrighted presentation of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Check out Chasing the Captain, the newest Jessica Ramirez thriller from Terry Shepard, available in print, digital, and audiobook. I'm Lisa Davis. Join Terry in the next chapter for Authors on the Air. Authors on the Air.